This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. I'm fortunate today to be able to talk with Ellen Cassidy, who is a founder of a great women's movement, the nine to five movement, which is not just a song, not just a movie, but actually a strong women's movement then and now. When did you when did you help start this, uh, Ellen? Uh, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, can you believe that? 10 women office workers in Boston started out sitting around in a circle talking about our jobs. And we talked about low pay, unequal pay, dead-end jobs, training men to be our supervisors, and being asked to do favors for the boss, all kinds of favors. Now, it wasn't long before we started running our bad boss contests and getting the government agencies to help us out. And we won millions of dollars in back pay and raises. We expanded nationally. We even started a woman-led union, and we made countless bosses get their own coffee. And by the way, it was us who inspired the Hollywood movie in 1980 that Jane Fonda made and the song, Dolly Parton's Enduring Anthem, Working 9 to 5. Both very wonderful. If people haven't seen the movie, they need to see it. And of course, I think everyone's heard the song over and over again. It's it's great. Oh yeah, and it really holds up too. It's it doesn't feel at all outdated. And I think it it sort of put Dolly Parton uh, in the in the front ranks of women icons for the women's movement. Don't you think so? I do think so. And she has always been very strong that uh, she she doesn't take a political position. And this is sort of like a lot of the members of 9 to 5. When we got started, people would come to our organization, and the first thing out of their mouth was, I am not a feminist. I believe in fair treatment for women. I believe in equal treatment for women. But I don't feel comfortable in the women's movement. And we in 9 to 5 created a space for people who didn't really feel comfortable in marching for women's rights. And they also were not really connected to the labor movement. But we found some place in between. Uh, we listened very carefully to how people were talking about their jobs, what was bothering them about their jobs. Things that we thought would be easy for women to do were actually hard. Like, can you leave a stack of newsletters in the ladies' room? Well, not everybody could because, like, what if they got caught? It was a very authoritarian culture. There was no history of organizing in the downtown office industries. So when we handed out our leaflets outside the big banks and insurance companies, there would be supervisors waiting inside the, the revolving doors and they would snatch those newsletters right out of the hands of the women coming in. And if you were working in a typing pool, you couldn't just stand up and talk to somebody else because your supervisor would see. So we had to create all kinds of clever ways for women to take action in a safe way. And our bad boss contests were one way of doing it and uh, passing out leaflets in front of banks and using government agencies to enforce the affirmative action laws and the Equal Pay Act. And this, all of this is what I talk about in my new book, which is called Working 9 to 5, A Women's Movement, A Labor Union, and the Iconic Movie. And the book is just out. And so really, it's a personal book because I wanted to write the kind of book that I was always looking for when I started organizing. What does it feel like? What does it feel like to be out there and just starting out as an activist, as an organizer? What does it feel like to speak up at your first meeting or make your first 
batch of phone calls to people you don't know. How does that affect you? What's it like to be a girlfriend and a working women's organizer at the same time? So I tell a very personal story and really bring to life just the joy and the, the challenges we had to meet and how we did it. And we were very young, very green, but we just sort of made our way forward. We, we looked to other people for advice and we took advice from other people, but we realized right from the start that we were going to have to forge our own path. And so assumptions fell by the wayside and we went out there and just did whatever we could. We were in the newspaper constantly. We were on the radio and TV and we were in this beehive of an office working our way through our phone banks and bringing in more and more women uh, who, and, and then not only the women who got involved in our organization, but other women were watching from the sidelines. And this happened all over the country and people were really changed by what we were doing. So the nine to five movement had a, a great role, not only in the women's movement, but also in the labor's movement. What motivated you to get started, though? You said you were just a green person with no previous experience. Why did you do it? Well, I was an office worker at a big university in the Boston area. And I looked around and I saw that, you know, it was a very diverse workforce. Um, Boston was largely white. But within that, there was a huge class diversity. So there were people who had college degrees who were really irritated that all the only job they could find was 10 typing fingers. And then there were people who had grown up in factory towns who for whom working in an office was really a step up until they found out about the pay, which was less than factory work. So women office workers were everywhere, but we were kind of invisible until we started looking around at each other and feeling united as women. And that's what motivated me, just like so many other millions of women pouring into the workforce. You know, the, the typical picture of an office of a worker was a man in a hard hat wielding a wrench. But one woman in three in the workforce was a clerical worker. We were invisible. Nobody knew we were there. We barely knew we were there, but we started stirring and it was like a sleeping giant awakening. And also the labor movement had not paid any attention. The workforce had changed drastically. And except for telephone operators, I can't think of a single category of working women that were targeted specifically by the labor movement. That is so true. So we went around to all the unions in Boston and talked to labor officials. We had a hard time finding any women union officials. So we talked to the men and it was just hard for them to understand what we were talking about. Uh, they would say things like women can't be organized. One guy said to us, you know, actually, that's a really good idea, organizing women office workers. And if I had a girl in here to do my typing, I'd be out there in the field with you. <laughs> You can imagine how we felt about that. But, you know, that changed. And eventually we made an affiliation with the Service Employees International Union, big international union. And they gave us a contract, a charter to organize coast to coast. And pretty soon we had our organizers running around organizing at libraries and universities and insurance company and uh, all over, all over the country. And, you know, it's because not all women office workers were ready to unionize, but some were. And we emphasized that really 
joining a union is the way to really guarantee and consolidate uh, the gains that you can make on the job. And union workers make uh, about 30% or more uh, higher pay than non-union workers, more benefits, more of a say on the job, a grievance procedure. And these things are really valuable. And they've helped to raise the standard of living for so many millions of workers. And I think the AFL-CIO people were surprised to find that uh, where there was a majority of women workers, especially black women workers in the workforce, the union drive went much more smoothly and was much more likely to be successful. Why is that? Why is it why is it true that women seem to make better organizers? Today I work almost exclusively in the retiree movement. And we have a, you know, we have some outstanding men among us, but it's the women that get the work done and particularly the teachers. Tired teachers seem to be the most articulate and the most devoted, and the the they also seem to understand the issues better. We developed a kind of culture in which we listened really carefully to people. We paid a lot of attention to individuals. We figured out, like, what can this woman do? She can't speak in front of a crowd yet, but she can bring the cookies to a meeting. She can bring her friend to a meeting. She can help set up chairs or do research. So we made different roles for all different kinds of people, a really diverse group. And I feel that my own experience, my own inner experience really helped me in that because I could be shy. I could be afraid of making phone calls. I didn't feel comfortable in front of a group, but we took people through these steps, uh, step by step. People amazed ourselves by what we could do, by our own eloquence and our own bravery. So I think that is probably something that any beginning union needs to do. So it's not just because we were, you know, innately mother figures or anything like that, but uh, starting out in an unorganized workforce, we had to do that. And so we did. And we held meetings at lunchtime uh, instead of after work because so many women had to get back to, you know, make dinner and take care of their kids and so on. Um, and these are things that any union, any good union does to be successful is to really listen to who you're trying to organize and what their needs are. And so I'm not saying that we were, you know, we had some magic key at all. I think it's easy to see why women can be really motivated and also pay really close attention to the people next to them. And, you know, I, I, some people talk about how women are more affiliative than men. I don't want to really get into that. We kept our focus on the boss and what the boss was doing wrong and what the boss was doing unfairly and illegally. And we joined together. We linked arms, black and white, uh, Latina. Uh, Asian, and we moved forward together and we made big changes. I imagine that one of the big issues from the very beginning was uh, exploitation of the overtime law because the bosses would tend to just say, I'm going to work late today, so you have to work late too. And then they would ignore the fact that if you worked over 40 hours in a week, you were supposed to get paid uh, overtime. But those women with no unions really had very little uh, ability to fight back on that front. Is that That's why? Right. I mean, the laws pertain to anybody, whether you're in a union or not, but it's so much easier to make progress as a group and to uh, file a charge or whatever. Yeah, we found that 
more, especially at the beginning in the early 70s, bosses tended to think of their secretaries as just sort of, you know, they were there to do whatever. And personal was, equipment. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah. the winner of our first bad boss contest was a boss who asked his secretary to sew up a hole in his trousers while he was wearing them. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> there were bosses, they would require their secretary to take their urine sample to the lab, to move their car, to take their visiting son out on a date. Uh, it just went on and on. And of course, sexual harassment, we didn't even have a word for it at the time, but that was rampant. And it was through our organizing that sexual harassment became illegal. That doesn't mean it's gone, but at least it's illegal. Pregnancy discrimination used to be perfectly legal. An employer could let you go because you were pregnant, just simply because you were pregnant. That's over. That's illegal now. And we had help wanted mail and help wanted ads in the newspapers back then. That's gone. Uh, and managerial jobs have opened up for women with college degrees. Now we fought to improve the uh, what job conditions were like in at every level in the typing pool. We were not just about moving people out of the typing pool, although we were for that too, you know, job ladders and, and career training was very important, job posting so people knew when there were job openings. So I think we made, we did make a lot of progress, although let me also say that, and let me say that issues that used to be considered sort of individual issues like pregnancy and sexual harassment, are now thought of as policy issues. So unions take them up, employers see them as policy issues, and so do, does government. But in some ways, it's harder to be a working person today than it was 50 years ago. In the gig economy, people are working two and three jobs just to put food on the table. Fewer people have paid vacations, sick days, schedules are irregular, pensions have are out of reach for many, many workers. Uh, benefits are worse than they used to be. And, and then there's that computerized monitoring, that second by second surveillance that makes so many workers' lives miserable and that, that uh, sets a relentless pace of work. But the great thing is the surge of union organizing that we're seeing today. Restaurant workers, retail workers, care workers, warehouse workers, grad students, congressional aides, baseball players, and more people support unions today than they have in two generations. My new book is Working 9 to 5, A Women's Movement, A Labor Union, and the Iconic Movie. And you can get it wherever books are sold. Uh, the the uh, publisher is Chicago Review Press. Just ask for it. And my name is Ellen Cassidy, which is Ellen C-A-S-S-E-D-Y. Mm -hmm. So you're the author of a new book on nine to five and the women's movement in general, as especially as it related to the labor movement. Now, you had to knock on the door. You mentioned that you went to several unions before you found the SEIU. And I would comment also that at that time, SEIU was not that big a union. I think they began as elevator operators. And as elevator operators began to disappear, one would think that the union would go out of existence, but it didn't. So they started out as elevator operators, doormen, janitors. But then 
by the early 70s, they were really expanding and they had public employees and they had healthcare workers and they had uh, building service workers. So over the years, they've continued to expand and change. They're now led by a woman, Mary Kay Henry, and they're one of the most forward-looking unions we have. Right. And the nine to five movie in 1980 really helped to change that that perception of who office work was important and had not been seen that way. And so when women office workers saw themselves on the big screen, the atmosphere was just electric. The movie really gave our movement a big boost. We inspired the movie and then the movie really helped us move forward. After that movie, I think the argument was over. The debate was over. People no longer thought that office workers were silly bimbos. Office work was something respectable and office workers deserve to be paid right. And then the question was, how do we get there? Of course, the three women who starred in that movie were magnificent. They were magnificent before and they were magnificent during and magnificent afterwards. But let's give a little credit to Dabney Coleman, the villain in the movie. The boss. What a bad boss. Great guy. Right. Early on in the production, Jane Fonda brought a team to meet with our members and it was a little stiff, the meeting. And then one member of their team popped a question that we had never thought to ask in all of the lunches we'd had with women, which was, have you ever fantasized about doing in your boss? And there was a moment (laughs) of stunned silence. And then the whole room exploded because it turned out that everybody had So one woman (laughs) talked about wanting to grind up her boss in the coffee grinder. And another woman talked about wanting to swivel her boss around in the swivel chair and swivel him right out the window. And these fantasies all went into the script. So these things you see uh, about the, the fantasies that those three women have, you know, roping their boss and turning him on a spit and pursuing him through the halls and so on. These all came from our members. So everybody should see that movie if they haven't seen it, or maybe see it again, because it's it's still worthwhile. Now let's talk about what's still before you. What, is, what are the challenges to 9 to 5 today, or to the women's movement today? Because I know that sexual exploitation's been in the news a lot, and they mostly call it nowadays, they call it the Me Too movement of uh, women that are trying to assert their rights on the job. And I know it must be awfully uphill. Yeah, so nine to five is still reaching out to women in every state today. And our union, local nine to five of the service employees union is based in Seattle and they've grown to include uh, women who work or people who work in education from daycare on up through higher ed uh, and all kinds of care workers. So they really still embody the movement that we built I think that what the the challenges facing today's workers are some of them are the old the same old problems and some are brand new problems and I think what we're going to be seeing is we're going to be hearing new voices women's voices new tactics a lot of the organizing that I see is community based so it's not just workplace by workplace which is the standard traditional 
National Labor Relations Board type of organizing, it uh, it really builds a, a feeling and a and a movement of you know the Starbucks workers, the Amazon workers, and so on, and uh, the janitor work, workers that we've seen, Justice for Janitors, the One Fair Wage effort for tipped workers, and the um, the movement for fifteen dollar minimum wage. All of these things call on the community to join with working people to make progress and join with public officials and so on. So I I see a lot of reason for hope in that kind of new organizing that we're seeing. And uh, to be honest, I don't think a lot of it is coming out of the office these days. The office workers themselves are not at the uh, forefront of this movement anymore. But uh, I think we are seeing new kinds of women workers and people who are taking it all just as seriously and coming up with some uh, wonderful new energy that we're going to be seeing going forward. We're seeing a lot of food service workers being organized now, and particularly uh, the one that gets in the papers the most is Starbucks. And we should give a little credit to uh, the organizers here in North Texas, I know are with the Workers United Union, which is associated once again with Service Employees International Union, SEIU, the one that adopted nine to five back mm-hmm. when, uh, when the rest of labor was not paying much attention and recognized the changes in the workforce. And I think that the particularly most important thing going on in the labor movement today is not the fact that we are organizing more unions. We are, it's true. More unions are winning, even though it's very, very difficult under government regulations. But what is really profoundly changing is the degree of solidarity with everybody, whether they have a union or not. Ellen Cassidy from 9 to 5 and the founder of 9 to 5, do you want to make any more general comments? And don't forget to plug your book. So it's great to talk with you, Gene. And I hope people will get hold of my book, Working 9 to 5, A Women's Movement, A Labor Union, and the Iconic Movie. It has a foreword by Jane Fonda. You can find it at any, go to any bookstore or online. My name is Ellen Cassidy, and I hope the book will really inspire people. I found it really inspiring to write it, I have to say. I was really kind of amazed by what we were able to do, and I really tried to bring to life the joy, you know, some of the difficulties, but also how exciting it can be to join, link arms with people in your same situation and move forward together. Ellen Cassidy, a founding member of 9 to 5, the women's movement, which profoundly changed the American labor movement. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.